0: It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Sunday morning, and where do we even start? Uh, Normally, right now, I should be recording this from Boston. I would have been at the Indianapolis Supercross last night, and uh, yeah, all that went sideways, right, as we know. So I'm back home. Um, This kind of all started for me on Wednesday. We had a big meeting. Uh, at WPS trying to decide uh, not only my immediate future, but several others in our company and how we would respond and deal with uh, the COVID-19 outbreak and Supercross plans and who's going, who's staying, all that stuff. Well, for me, I've always kind of been, let's say, not scared or aggressive in these situations. Um, You know, I don't have a family here in Boise to worry about uh, and really no responsibility. So I was wanting to continue on until it just was seen unsafe to do so. So I left Thursday morning with plans of, uh, like I said, going to Boston Sunday morning. And then I was going to see motorcycle dealerships all week next week, which is a big part of my job. And then go on to Detroit next Friday for the then scheduled round in Detroit. Then come home a week from today. So that was my plan. I pushed really hard to not get that plan canceled. And on Thursday morning, I jumped on a flight to Indy and uh, arrived Indy uh, in the afternoon. And uh, I actually led a dealer seminar in um, Eastern Indiana on Thursday night. Really appreciate uh, Modoc Streams for having me there. And as that seminar was going on. My plans all changed. Uh, The race went from no fans on Thursday afternoon to completely canceled on Thursday night during the middle of my seminar, and then it was like, okay, now what for me? How does that look? Well, I jumped in my car, headed back to Indy, and uh, man, the the amount of phone calls and texts that were flying around between myself and Jason Wygant, Steve Mathis, uh, some of my coworkers at Fly Racing, my bosses uh, at Western Power Sports... There was just a lot happening really quickly, and I was driving and trying to coordinate all this stuff. Probably not the safest thing I've ever done, but, again, things were happening really fast, and my life was changing by the minute as far as my plans. Uh, we still had our, our Pulpamex Racer X show scheduled for Friday night. We were trying to decide if that was still going to happen. Steve Mathis is actually on a flight to sh- on his way there. Uh, Chris Kiefer was trying to decide whether he was about to get on a plane Jason Wygant was trying to decide whether he was getting on a plane because he was just going to fly in for that show and then fly back for the the still scheduled flat track, uh, on that Sunday. So as you can imagine, there were a lot of plans and a lot of money is just our money specifically tied up in, uh, planning this, this show on Friday night, obviously the race that changed for everybody. Um, so by about the time I got back to Indy, which would have been, let's say, 9, 9.30 on um, Thursday night, we kind of all agreed, okay, we'd cancel the show Friday, and I pushed really, really hard to try to still do that. We were under the 250 people uh, mandate, um, but in the in- interest of just safety and not trying to spread this disease, which is, is the priority, we decided to uh, to cancel altogether, and, and it was probably the smart decision, you know, knowing more and watching the past couple days unfold, but I really tried hard to, uh, to continue on. I just thought it would be a great opportunity for race fans to get something positive and have a, a cool experience and have fun when everything else just seems so downtrodden and negative right now. Maybe that was not wise of me. I don't know, but, um, in the end we'll have more shows. We're going to, you know, this isn't a concept that's going to go away. Uh, Maybe we can even make up for it. Maybe we can even have a a show in the Midwest uh, where we could fly out there sometime this summer or whenever things calm back down to make up for it. Uh, We definitely want to come see everyone in Indy, and, uh, yeah, we still want to do it. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, As for the rest of my plans, uh, I had some hard decisions to make and and company-wide. That got a little bit passed down to me as, uh, you know, Western Power Sport's you know, our our biggest concern is keeping our company safe, right? Everyone that works there, it's like a big family. And uh so we we called everybody back in, which uh you know, for in my world man, I was jumping back on a plane Friday morning immediately and coming back to Boise. So I've been in my house pretty much ever since I, w- I went to the grocery store like everyone else in America. And uh yeah, I've just been trying to get ahead of my work schedule and I've done a lot of planning which is good. Uh, I'm usually just overwhelmed, busy-wise. And it gave me an opportunity to just sit down and start to make plans and do a lot of things that I normally don't have time to do. So I'm trying to find silver linings in this and get ahead of the game. Uh, I've been brainstorming things both for fly racing and uh, podcasts and uh, stuff for Steve Mathis and Weege and I to, to do that could be cool. Uh, I just want to find some good out of this. There's plenty of bad out there. Everywhere you turn, there's bad news. Stock market's all over the place. Races are being canceled worldwide. There are no sports on TV, like none, uh, which is sports are always a, a great escape for me. And that's, there's nothing there. So it's kind of forcing everybody to look in the mirror a little bit and, you know, ask yourself, what do I do now? so I will be working from home most of this week. Uh, I'm not symptomatic, which is great. I don't really feel like I'm a huge, um, risk factor to have complications. Even if I did catch it just from everything I've read, I've talked to a few doctors. Um, yeah, of course I don't want to get it. And, and most importantly spread to anyone, but my own long-term health and safety, I'm not super concerned with. Uh, maybe that, maybe that's foolish. Uh, that's just, what I've learned from what I've read and studied on it so far. So hopefully we can create some cool content for everybody. This podcast is kind of the beginning of that. Um, I've talked to everyone, um, you know, at my company and and Racer X and everyone. We're going to try to make the most of it. Uh, there's no reason why there can't be some good that comes from a really tough situation. Uh, I definitely want to spend a bunch of time. I, I literally have nothing to do. This is Sunday. So uh, maybe we'll go longer on this podcast. I'm going to kind of speak to how this is affecting Supercross and MXGP and motocross too, because that's just on the horizon. I have a ton of listener emails, uh, questions that I'm going to go through and, uh, yeah. So if I drone on a little bit here, just bear with me. Uh, I think all of us are going to be looking for things to pass the time because let's face it, there's nothing going on sports wise, motocross wise, everything is put on hold right now. So I'm gonna do my part to try to create some entertainment, starting right here. So let's jump into uh, Supercross. But before we do, I want to thank the sponsors that make this podcast possible, uh, Pirelli tires. Uh, those guys have been great for me. I, I raced for Pirelli a long time, along with some other brands too. But uh, I can remember going back to all the way to 1998 using Pirelli, and they were super involved with racing, racing just like they are now. So I want to give a big shout out to those guys. Uh, thanks for always having my back. Uh, I want to thank Plum Creek funding, Zach Morris. He actually has, uh, got a couple of refinance deals done with some of the moto community. So thank you to those who have reached out to him. If you haven't yet, uh, please do. This is a very, uh, crazy time with interest rates moving all over the place. I, I do think that the, uh, the rates will, Come back down. They they jumped up. Then they'll come back down. I think the the uh, Federal Reserve will try to stimulate the economy and try to get business going by keeping rates very low right now. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you're in a position to buy, it's awesome. I am actually. I'm going to monitor this situation really closely. If uh, housing prices slow down and with the rates down, I may make a move. Uh, I've been kind of waiting because it's been so crazy and the economy, the economy has been doing so well. It just, it, it was very reminiscent of the mid two thousands for me. And I didn't want to make that mistake again. So I've been patiently waiting. Uh, so maybe this is something positive that comes out of it. But if you have questions, please reach, reach out to Zach Morris at plum Creek funding. Uh, you can, you can text or DM or email me. I can get you in contact with him. Uh, but I know he's already been actively engaging with, uh, with the moto family and moto community and, and finding positives out of this. I also want to thank works connection, Eric and the crew over there. Uh, and another important part of this is we really need to support these smaller companies. Um, you know, works connection is obviously very successful, but they are still very dependent on the moto community, you know, being involved. Like we have to keep riding. We have to keep supporting companies and and that extends past moto, right? Uh, you see so many posts right now about, buying local, buying small. These people are every day. They are 100% dependent on people coming in their store or buying a gift card even, right? That's another way I've seen that could really help call them up and say, Hey, I'd, I don't want to leave the house right now or whatever, if that's your prerogative, but I'd like to buy a gift card because I still need these products. So, uh, support companies like works connection. Another one Blendsol uh, David Schloss there. He's been super involved in these events that were right on the horizon, right? The vintage supercross at least happened. That was great. He was involved there. Uh, the, uh, day in the dirt South, that's a bummer. He, he had Michael Lessie ready to race a two stroke. He was all in on that event. And, uh, yeah, they only got practice in, and, and the rest of it got canceled. that was, I heard a pretty wild scene. The, uh, sheriffs came in on, uh, believe it was late Friday night and completely shut that deal down. Uh, so that, that sucked. I I understand the reasoning behind it. I understand that in the end they're trying to keep people safe, but man, what a bummer to have that event ready to go off and be a huge hit and then get completely shut down after everyone had already shown up and spent money on everything. Um, yeah, again, bummer, but bigger point, uh, blends was a big part of those events and, uh, hate to see them not go off the way they were planned. But again, racing is gonna, it's going to pick back up again. And if anything, this gives us all a chance to go riding. I'm going to look at my opportunities to go riding. I need to find a dirt bike is what I need to do. Uh, but I'm going to try to maybe get out this week and go ride somewhere. It's been raining. So the trails are going to be epic and, uh, yeah, use blends for all your, uh, especially your two stroke needs. I think they, they are the forefront of uh, two stroke performance. So blends visit your local WPS dealer as well. Also want to thank uh, premier vapor blasting of Georgia. I think this is another opportunity. I think more people are going to ride because some people are going to have to be stay at home and not, you know, not be able to go to their office or not be able to go to their place of employment. So that's going to give them opportunities to get out. You know, they're going to be able to leave right after work and go ride or before work or whatever. So that's going to put more wear and tear on your bikes and a place like premier vapor blasting can keep those bikes in working order and make them look super sweet. So please check those guys out. If you mention the industry seating podcast, you get 25% off with those guys as well. So thanks Brandon and the crew over there for supporting this podcast. Obviously want to thank fly racing too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, (laughs) I don't even know if I'm able to go into the office this week. We'll see how that the policy goes there. But, um, yeah, I'll be working and trying to raise the level of our game. And, uh, yeah, I have some pretty cool ideas, which I normally don't have a ton of free time to execute, but I'm going to try to nail those this week and get, uh, like I said, it's all about silver linings for me with this deal. And maybe, maybe it allows me to do something that I normally wouldn't have time to do. So back into it, super cross wise. Uh, obviously everyone has questions on how does this affect the rest of the series? Well, As we know, Indy was canceled, Detroit is canceled, Seattle's canceled, Denver's canceled, and Foxborough are canceled. So that's a lot of racing that we have to account for. Uh, I don't know that anyone can answer with 100% confidence what that's going to look like. I do know that it's in Feld's best interest to find a way to make up these rounds. Now, as for how that looks, good question. I don't think there is a chance that we're going to go back to Seattle, Boston, Detroit, uh, Denver. I, I think those are off the table. I don't have the authority to say that's a certainty, but that's what I believe. I think those rounds, as far as us, the, the monster energy supercross series, visiting those cities in 2020, I think that's done. What I do think they're looking at is finding other venues like namely Vegas, namely salt Lake Where the impact has been a little bit less so far. And I think they may be a little bit more likely to allow these vents to go off. I know that uh, Feld has been in contact with those venues, uh, especially Vegas. And I think they would welcome the series having multiple rounds there. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean uh, multiple rounds per weekend? Maybe. Does that mean... Around you know on a Friday night and a Sunday does that mean you know a Friday night Saturday night or or even a Sunday doubleheader maybe I've even heard rumors float that they would try to do like a midweek race they could get in like a two zero Wednesday and then a Saturday night something like that just trying to get uh, these rounds to happen because I think there's a misconception that they. You know, they just need to have the races anywhere, and and it doesn't matter. You know, they're just trying to do it for the sake of racing. Well, not so much. Um, it's more about you know getting these races on TV. It's about fulfilling sponsorship obligations. It's about uh, getting people their money's worth that have spent a lot of money on racing, right? It's also about helping privateers to earn paychecks because there's a there are a ton of riders out there that depend on these races to be able to survive, right? Without these, they, they have no money. They're like, they're living race to race, paycheck to paycheck off this stuff. So I applaud Feld for having that as a part of their, let's say, uh, their stream of consciousness on what's important because they literally, they're probably, I don't know, 50 plus riders that if there are no races, they have no way to make money, zero income. You know, a lot of these racers aren't qualified to do anything else. They are a hundred percent dependent on racing. Maybe they could go find some local races. That's a possibility, but they haven't planned on that, right? That's who knows where they are around the country right now. So I can't even imagine the amount of money Feld is losing right now between Disney on ice, monster jam, Supercross. Everything is canceled as of right now, as far as, or, or at least put on hold, that has to be an unbelievable financial hit to to Feld motorsports and Feld entertainment overall. So I, I know that they're gonna do everything they can to get back on track, just for our sake, their sake, entertainment's sake, uh I don't think anyone could motivate them anymore to find answers right now. So, you know, I, I think there's been a bit of frustration out there from riders and, and other people that they don't have answers. Well I don't think anyone wants answers more than Feld. And like I said, this is costing them, I don't know, tens, hundreds of millions. By the end, I, I would say that's probably a fair assessment when you look at the whole scope of their, their business enterprise. So they're going to be the most motivated of anyone to get this thing back on track, however that looks. I do think we're going to go racing. I don't know when. Uh, there are so many things that weigh on a decision like that, political, uh, regional, you know, if if Nevada came out tomorrow and said, hey, no events uh, at all, you know, over 100 people until May 1 or June 1, right? That's a, That would be a huge hit to the series because I think Vegas is the most likely scenario to have a several rounds to fill this series. I know Feld still wants to do 17 rounds. That's their tentative plan. How do they get there? I don't know. I, like I said, Vegas to me looks like the most likely scenario of getting multiple rounds in to fulfill everyone's obligation. Because whether it's the teams, whether it's the series sponsors for Feld, um, everyone is contracted to seventeen rounds. And if that doesn't happen, then where does it go? You know, I, I can't even imagine the amount of contracts and the, just the fine print of contracts that have been read this week on how does this go? Who's liable or who's responsible? Do people still have to pay or are they off the hook? I would assume every scenario is a little different, but it has to be looked at. I just, (laughs) all of the implications and ripple effects of this are, it's it's staggering. Um, And that's just our little sport. You start thinking about the NBA and these other sports that are in the middle of their series right now, uh, Major League Baseball—they've canceled their spring. Do they even start playing their series? Do they cancel their season altogether? It's just an unbelievable effect that this coronavirus has had on the country, and and we might just be getting started. I hope that all the the measures that are being taken uh, will slow this thing down, and and I really hope we're overreacting. I don't know that that's the case. I'm not a doctor. I have no way to know whether this is just the beginning and we're about to get much worse or if all of these steps that are being taken will help. And yeah, in a week or two, things are looking much better. And, uh, you know, we're past the worst of it. Who knows? Uh, if it's like Italy, we're in big, big trouble. Let's hope that's not the case. Uh, I think for the rider's sake, I think they just do what they're doing. You know, maybe they take the intensity down a little bit, but with nothing certain, I think you just keep riding. You don't kill yourself as far as workload, but you definitely don't want to lose all of the hard work you've been putting in. You really just want to maintain. So I think, you know, a lot of riders will, will do some riding. Maybe they'll take a couple of days off, enjoy life a little bit more, but riders are, uh, they're just creatures of routine And so they'll wake up and they'll do their workouts and they'll go riding because that's all they know how to do That's all that they're programmed to do And as a rider, you don't feel normal unless you're getting that work in so Uh, I would I would imagine that a day like saturday or sunday They they would even replicate a race day, right because you just want to keep the same level that you had So yeah, you do your work You'd put in a full race day on Saturday. Like you'd get, you would assemble your crew. You know, a place like Baker's Factory, they have riders where they could get and replicate a race scenario. And you would want to get that intensity up just like a race would. Uh, that, that's really the main goal for trainers and riders is when this series starts back up, whether it's the middle of April or shoot, May 2nd. I don't know. You know, no one knows. But you just want to be on the same level you were at you know, going into Indianapolis, uh, last Friday. and I think it's doable. You know, it's, it, it'll look a little bit different than their off season work. I do think it'll give them a little bit of time to, uh, prepare for outdoors more because they'll have those days at home, you know, instead of leaving on a Thursday, uh, or maybe Friday to fly race, fly home, now they have three more days of, of preparation and they could work in outdoor prep. They could do more testing. They can certainly get in more training like off the bike, whether it's bicycle or however they want to go about that. Uh, and then obviously they'll get to spend more time with families, uh, which is is great too. Another aspect of this is how does this affect the outdoors, right? So one big conversation is, you know, we have a finite amount of time between now and uh, let's say May 14th, I think is, is when Hangtown is that weekend, 14, 15. I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I know it's then what do they do? How do they get the maximum amount of rounds in as close to, they can get to 17 by then. Well, all that's going to depend on how quickly they can get back to racing. I've heard some dates floated out there. Like I heard March 28th floated out there. I can't see that being reality. I hope that's real. I know that's, well, shouldn't say I know I've heard that's, the earliest possible we could get back to racing. I think, you know, for Feld's sake, as I said, they've got crazy amounts of money in the balance. That would be the, their most, uh, positive outcome. Best case scenario. That's the term I'm looking for. I don't think that's reality. I I just can't see it. I would love for it to happen, but I I think it's going to be more middle of April is, is the most, uh, likely because I think that gives a month from all these things happening and, and you just keep hearing 30 days from all these other sports. So I, I don't know why moto would be any different, but maybe, maybe, uh, things calm down this week and, and they, they can get Vegas in or wherever they decide to go. Uh, that planned Seattle weekend. I keep coming back to Vegas because I just think from everything I've heard, if there's a chance to run multiple rounds, that's the place because they have no events scheduled for that stadium. It's it's planned on being destroyed most likely. And I think they would welcome the business. They would take as much racing as they could get. I think they could leave the dirt in the stadium and I think they could run event after event and whether or not the fans support it and they're, you know, they sell out. I don't think that's likely, but also, it's about TV, TV rights, you know, with no sports going on. I think the the television networks, obviously NBC has the rights to it. I think they would jump all over it. I think they would welcome an opportunity to put a sport on regular NBC, like the just the big NBC network, and that would be huge for our sport. So how do we make the most of a really bad situation? Uh, that's one way to do it. I don't think... Uh, I don't think we're going to go back to those other cities, as I mentioned. What are the, the worst-case scenarios for Supercross? Uh, obviously, the worst-case scenario would be the series is canceled. Uh, as of right now, they end the series, and, you know, Eli Tomac's your champion. I think that's worst-case scenario. I don't think that's going to happen, but anything is possible. I don't think you could rule out anything. If this thing goes completely sideways, and it spreads all over the country, and it gets really bad... How do they run races in the next couple of months? I don't think they can. Now I'm going to throw out one crazy scenario and I have not been told this. I have no evidence to support this, but when I'm looking at the, just the complete off the scope possibilities, what could they, what could they do? Just think about this for a second. They go racing outdoors, right? They let this series calm down. Maybe they even have to postpone a couple outdoors. I don't know. Depends on how long this goes on for. Race the outdoor series, and they had a, what, four, five, six, seven round Supercross Series in the offseason. Started in September, and you wrapped it up with a finale at Monster Cup or around there. Now, I know that's crazy. I know that's just, you know, something we've never even thought about before. But I think we are in a place where we have to look at every possible scenario. And I'm trying to look at it from the team's perspective, from Feld's perspective, from everyone's perspective. Would that be something that's uh, good for the sport? Would the teams respond well to that? Would would they be like, no way, we're not racing that late into the series? I don't know. I don't know what the response would be to it. But if you're trying to salvage this series – it has to be looked at right. If you could, if you could go back to racing in September and wrap it up the middle of October, I think that's bad news for the, for the riders, right? You're basically giving them zero off season because November one really begins boot camp. But if they could take November off kind of, and then pick up December one again for training, I can't see how it would be the worst thing in the world. Now, the question is, the, the most difficult question is where do you hold these races? Because September begins football season. You're in the middle of, uh, well, you're at the end of baseball season. So your venue availability gets really tight. So you'd have to get creative on where you'd go. Uh, St. Louis comes to mind. They don't have a professional sports team in that arena anymore. So they, I think they would be available to do something like that. I don't know when the scheduled, uh, tear down if they are going to tear down Sam Boyd stadium in Vegas, but that would be a place where we could go, right? If, if there was enough revenue to be justified for that stadium, you got to think that they would want to take it. Uh, But I, I think you'd have to be creative on where you'd hold these races. Maybe it's impossible. Maybe I'm a complete moron for suggesting anything like that. But I'm just looking for solutions. If April becomes impossible. And, and I don't know. I, I'm really, really optimistic that we get this thing under control and we can go racing in April. I've had a lot of people shout me down and tell me I'm crazy. And this is, this is going to get way, way worse and forget about sports at all for, you know, the next few months. Maybe they're right. I don't know. But that September, October timeline could be something that becomes more realistic Uh, I would bet you that every option is on the table. I bet there's a a big whiteboard at Feld with every scenario and what's possible, what's not, uh, and what are the the most extreme scenarios that they could still get something done. So anyway, uh, that's kind of how I see Supercross. I I do think they're going to try to go racing at all costs because, well, quite literally at all costs because I think it's going to it's going to cost everyone a lot of money. If we don't, the riders, uh, the teams, not so much, right. A lot of these teams are marketing plays, so it won't cost them a lot of money. Uh, some teams, it will, uh, a team like, uh, you know, team I'm close with, uh, Rocky mountain, ATVMC WPS KTM team. It probably could cost them a lot of money, right? Do sponsors have to fulfill all their obligations if they miss a bunch of races? I don't know. I think that would be an individual uh, conversation with each sponsor But the potential is there to cost them a lot of money and they can't afford to take hits like that. Riders can't afford to miss a bunch of racing. So there are a lot of different, uh, facets of this we have to consider. Obviously it goes without saying that everyone's health is the most important. That's why these races are all canceled or postponed at the moment is because, People's health is at the forefront of everybody's concern, right? So I, I'm kind of glossing over that point, but I hope that everyone understands that that's the most important aspect of all of this. I'm just trying to see how it relates to our series and uh, more address the racing side. I will let the uh, the health professionals address uh, the the things that they're equipped to do. Uh, gonna obviously talk about the Supercross series a bunch more when we get into the listener questions. Uh, so let's talk about the MXGP side. How does that get addressed? So as you guys know, a bunch of the rounds have already been canceled. Uh, Trentino was postponed, uh, Argent, I I shouldn't say canceled. I should say postponed. Argentina was postponed. Um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of in the same boat as supercross, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations and a lot of money, you know, is, is in the basically, you know, in the era of uncertainty, let's say. So they're going to be doing the same thing. They're going to be trying to find ways to fill these rounds. I have heard whispers that these rounds will go off late in the year. Uh, I think they announced Argentina would be pushed to November 21, 22. Pretty sure I read that. I think that's just the beginning. I could see this series going going into October, November, December to get these rounds done. Uh, I should say that MXGP has a lot more Flexibility being one series, right? They don't have to concern themselves with the Supercross and Lucas Oil Pro Motocross dynamic. They can run races at any time that they deem safe and you know possible. So as you've already seen with them putting Argentina in late November, they're looking at every scenario. Uh, it should be mentioned on Argentina that's a unique one because they're in the Southern Hemisphere, so their season their season's upside down from. The northern hemisphere. So for them to put a race in Argentina in the winter or well, let's say in the summer for here, say June, they can't do it. That's the middle of their winter. It gets too snowy and, and the weather's too erratic for them to do an event then. So they almost have to wait till super late, like November. That would be their springtime, and hopefully the weather has turned by then. So it's a very different and unique situation for Argentina. But the point is I think they're looking at really running this series late into the year to try to finish it up and give this uh, this health scare and situation, especially in Europe, time to, to sort itself out. Now, how does that look for the rest of the rounds? Uh, a race like Trentino, they got postponed. Do they push that into December? Does a race like Majora, which is scheduled for May 15th, which I am scheduled to go to and uh, work the The television booth with Paul Malin, do they push that to December? I don't know. I'm sure that's what they're looking at. Maybe October, maybe November, maybe December. But I don't think, and that's just just my personal opinion, I don't think that Majora goes off in May, not with the country of Italy fully locked down. I don't see how Spain happens. They may have already canceled that or postponed uh, the Spanish round of the series. They're in full lockdown. So you know, they have a little bit more flexibility with, you know, I would say the 21, 2021 MXGP series, you know, they don't ever start until late February, early March. They have more time to get this series done without worrying about an off season. Uh, so they have more flexibility with one series and a different timetable than, uh, the USA does. So we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, I've spoken to, the powers that be there a little bit just because of my scheduling and uh, working myself into their television broadcast booth. But I don't think they have firm answers yet. The, uh, the situation in, in Europe right now is, as of right now, much more dire than the US. We'll see how that unfolds. Uh, the USA may be just getting into uh, the, the crisis that, that Europe is in right now. There are just so many questions that we don't have answers to, and we're all speculating as to how this plays out. But there's no way to, to have any idea. Everything is changing by the day. I mean, sometimes by the hour of you know outbreaks of, of COVID-19 in different states and different countries. Um, how do governments and, and the U.S. administration cope with this, uh, both on a national and national level for everyone, but then on a, on a state level too, because a lot of these states are, they have the discretion of, do they allow events to, to go off or not? So we'll just have to see how all that plays out. Um, yeah, I have to mention I wrote a note. Uh, as I said, I'm looking for silver linings for all of this. Maybe I get more round rounds of television coverage. That would be cool. Uh, I obviously have to balance my workload and, and my responsibilities at fly racing with that. But if that gives me a chance to go to more rounds of the series, I would love to, because right now I was bound by my need to be at American supercross races. I couldn't go to a lot of the rounds of the series. Like right now, I would love to go to Trentino. That was one I I really wanted to go to. I wanted to check out that new Spanish round too. But unfortunately those races coincided with American supercross races. So I was immediately kind of disqualified from going. Well, maybe I can now, maybe I could go to that new round in Spain, given that it's pushed back later into the series. So if I'm looking for a way to make my life a little brighter because of the situation, that's what I'm going to do. I really encourage people to make the most of what's a really bad situation. Chris Kiefer has been, you know, screaming from the mountaintops for everyone to go ride their motorcycle. That's a great one. That's That's such a positive way to spend time that maybe you didn't have otherwise. So I'm going to look at every negative and try to find a positive out of it because I think that's really all we can do. Uh, As far as the MXGP, just to put a bow on that for now, I do think racing is going to be shut down for a while. I, I think Supercross has a chance to get going before MXGP does, and that's just a geographic situation. Uh, the situation is like, as I said, it's much worse in mainland Europe right now than it is in the U S maybe that's, maybe that changes. Maybe it turns really ugly here really quickly over the next two weeks and everyone's locked down. If that happens, I don't see anybody going racing for a very long time, but we'll just have to see how that plays out. Maybe next Sunday, I have a lot more insight and, and maybe that's a better outlook or maybe it's much, a much more negative outlook. But, uh, as a, this is all going to be changing daily and, and sometimes hourly. Uh, so I want to get into a bunch of listener questions. Um, before I do again, I've covered this a couple times, but this is important for everyone. Please be safe. Please don't anything do anything stupid. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. Uh, I watched a, uh, a podcast with Jeff Emig, uh, with Doc Bodner. That was pretty insightful. Um, you can check that out, but just, uh, you know, err on the side of caution for now. I think that's the, really the best we can do, uh, spend as much time as you can with loved ones. Um, yeah, we're going to be racing again. Like guess racing not done, you know, air quotes around done, but we do have to, uh, make sure that everyone's as safe as we can. And when that racing comeback comes back, I think we're all going to appreci- appreciate it a little bit more. Speaking for myself, I get pretty worn down. I get tired of traveling and tired of flying around. And honestly, some of the Saturday mornings, I'm kind of just ho-hum. Like I'm not super excited because I've been doing it, you know, for 10 or 11 weeks in a row as of right now. So that, that wears on you and your, your excitement level goes down. But I can tell you yesterday morning, I was pretty bummed that I wasn't at Indi- I was not at Indianapolis and I will be much more excited when this thing kicks back off, whenever that happens, that we're getting to go racing again. So, uh, maybe it'll give us a little perspective of how lucky we are, not only to live in such a great country that we do of America, but also that we get to gr- watch such a great sport every Saturday for, you know, months and months and months, and that's going to roll into outdoors too. So I'm going to try to put it into perspective and and not take these things for granted once we get back to racing. All right. So let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I have a ton of questions here and, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that all of you responded. I am going to do a formula helmet giveaway and, uh, it was scheduled to go right after the, the Denver supercross, which is was April 4th. I might move that timeline up. Everything's changed now. I haven't necessarily decided when I'm going to do that, but all of these questions that I'm going to read are in the running for that. But maybe I speed it up a little bit just to, uh, to give some people, uh, a little bit, a little bit more to be excited about than having to wait another three weeks. So first question is from Devin. I've actually got the pleasure of meeting Devin before. He asks, why do you think Red Bull KTM MX2 team bikes look so much better than the TLD KTM bikes in America? Well, I don't know that it's necessarily uh, just what meets the eye. There are a lot of things happening there, and I'm trying to figure out how to unpack this. So MXGP and MX2 rules, there basically aren't any, right? They can do kind of what they want with the motorcycles. They have so much more freedom to innovate and uh create different motorcycles and push the boundaries as far as innovation. And in America we have a production rule uh especially in the 250 class too. So they're bound by uh having the same cases and the same swing arm, you know, all the all these things have to be production based for the bike. The frame has to be a production frame. Uh they can they can add to the frame to make it a little stiffer but they can't remove from it. Uh, they are just, there are much tighter parameters in America to try to keep the cost of racing down and to try to keep the, the level uh, level playing field versus what they, they have in Europe. So I think that they are able to really push the boundaries on the motorcycle. And I also believe that KTM has the most, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, but that's what I'm doing around factory level MX2 team. There are a bunch of MX2 teams, but I, I think that the efforts and the technology of equipment going into the KTM team is much higher than some of the other teams. This year, Jago Geertz on his Yamaha, uh, they, he has a star racing engine for the most part, right? There are some subtle differences, but I think you're seeing already the benefits of that. I think he's been much more relevant. He's been up there on the starts. Uh, he was your points leader going into... Uh, the second round. And I think that's paying dividends already. So he's getting better equipment and, and becoming more relevant and uh, able to compete a little better on that equipment. I just don't think the other teams are quite on par with the resources being thrown at them that the KTM team is. and that, And that's really playing out on the results column. Where in America it's different because the teams are bound by production. I think there are a lot of teams with a lot of resources being funneled in, you know, the star team is obviously great. Mitch Payton's monster energy pro circuit. Kawasaki team is just a juggernaut. Um, TLD KTM has factory KTMs. They, they get a ton of support from KTM, even JGR Suzuki. They have, uh, everything that they can throw at that motorcycle and say what you want. They're still getting hole shots at times. So, um, Everybody has a great effort. Husky is obviously the factory uh, Husqvarna effort for America, Rockstar Husky. Their bikes, I don't want to say are, are similar, but they can rely on uh, Austria to, to cre- create and produce really great motorcycles. Geico Honda's really stepped up their effort this year to increase their engine package. So I just think that the teams in America have more resource, resources being thrown their way. And they're a much more level playing field because of the production rule. And I would say the production rule is, is the most important of that aspect too, because if you're in Europe and you're the MXGP series and you want to spend a crazy amount of money on your motorcycle, there are ways to do it. Look at, uh, look at MXGP class with Honda. They're racing a completely different motorcycle. Tim Geiser, his bike is unlike anything. Anybody else is racing other than Mitch Evans. I don't know that that's fair. I mean, it is what it is. It's the rules. KTM's the same way. Jeffrey Hurlings, I've been told, has a few different frames to choose from depending on the track. If the track's soft, it's a sand track like Valkensward or Lommel. He has a frame that's very forgiving, a little bit longer, that's going to handle better and be more stable for the fast, rough sand tracks. If he goes to a track like Trentino, hard pack, uh twitchy or like lock it, where you would want it to be more maneuverable and more nimble. He has a different frame spec for that, a track like that, where it's he's gonna be able to turn and it's gonna respond better in those conditions. So these guys have so much more maneuverability in their motorcycles and what they can change week to week, round to round, uh, to make them more competitive. So it's just apples to oranges a little bit on that. And uh it all comes down to resources and you know, in a word money, how much money these manufacturers are willing to throw at the, the racing efforts. So good question. Uh, it's just a very complicated answer. Uh, I don't think it's just the TLD KTM team versus the MX2 team in Europe. I think there's a lot there that they're bound by rules as far as what they're allowed to do. Next question is from Aaron. Uh, he asks about <laughs> Atlanta with Baggett and Tomac. Um. Once that crash happened, he's basically asking when Tomac came around to lap. Baggett, Baggett looked to go after Tomac to kind of make a pass or an aggressive pass back, and he asking what, was that the case? Uh, if Baggett had made contact or knocked Tomac down, what have, would have been the repercussions? So I watched this live at, at the event, and I saw it all unfolding. And yes, Blake absolutely ran it in on Tomac because uh, he was really pissed off about you know, the takeout that had gone on earlier. Now, had he taken Tomac out or knocked him off the track uh, going a lap down, I do think he would have been punished. Uh, if anything from John Gallagher, we've seen him react harshly to riders acting with bad intentions, especially if you're a lap down, something like that. Uh, I think Blake would have been penalized pretty harshly. I think John Gallagher has a tendency to really uh, come down with an iron fist in scenarios like that. You know, we saw the black flag thing with Chad Reed a few years ago. It just seems like if you do something way out of the norm that was unnecessary, especially like a lap down, he's going to hand down a very harsh penalty. So luckily that didn't happen. But to answer your question, yeah, I think it would have been pretty bad for Blake. And and I'm glad that he either missed or or checked up at the last second when he had that opportunity. This next question is from Nick. He asks, does AC stay at Cowie next year, or does he go somewhere else? So he's obviously asking about Adam Cincerillo and his 2021 plan. I think he absolutely stays at Cowie. I do think that his agent, Steve Astephan, will go out and talk to other people because I think that's what his job entails. He needs to go out and create leverage so he can generate the most money he can for Adam Cincerillo. Does that mean talking to Yamaha and talking to Honda and talking to anyone with an open seat for 2021? Absolutely. Does anything come of that? I don't necessarily think so. I think Monster and Kawasaki both understand what they have with Adam Cincerello. He is uh, he's beloved by the fans, one, and the kid is just unbelievably talented, two, And look at his results from the first year. He almost won his first ever 450 series race. He did win the monster cup. So I think the future is so damn bright for Adam Cincerello. I can't imagine monster energy Kawasaki letting him go, but I do think there will be some conversations and other people will have their run at him and maybe somebody woos him away. Maybe they just make it their number one priority to have him as their future. And We've seen it before. Uh, I'm not saying it's a lock that he stays at Cowie, but could a team like Yamaha or I, I struggle to see it with, with KTM or Husky because they have that guy same with Honda. They have Roxon. but I, I could see Yamaha just throwing everything they have at Cowie, knowing that, you know, Barsha maybe only has a few years left. Who knows what that looks like. Plusing your hasn't really panned out as a championship level guy as of yet. Um, but I, I think someone like that could just throw, just go all in for lack of a better term on sincerillo But in the end, I do think he stays, listen, he's been a lifelong Kawasaki rider. He has so much history there. I know Bruce Sternstrom loves him, right? I just can't imagine them letting him go. And the only reason I throw monster in there is because they are the title sponsor of the Yamaha team too. So it would, basically keep him in monster. I don't know. It'd be an interesting conversation to listen to all the phone calls that have to go on because speaking for myself, like fly racing, I don't know that there's a better prospect in the sport than Adam Cincerillo right now. Uh, So that has to apply to every team and every sponsor is that you want your name associated with that kid because simply he does everything right. He he appeals to fans. He handles his media stuff in the most professional way possible. He's incredibly dynamic on the track. He has great style. Um, you know, he just he is that same Ken Rockson. You know, um, he's in the same fold or this. You know, in, in that same breath as Ken Rockson. You know, Kenny's just a few years ahead of him right now. So we'll see how that plays out. But great question there. This next question from Patrick. Do you think Feld will ever bring back the celebrity rider design tracks like 09? Those are some of the best tracks. What are your thoughts? Uh, that was a really cool idea. And I remember being around, um, you know, at Chad Reed, I was really close. Let's say best friends with Chad Reed in that time. And, uh, he had the chance to do indie in 2008. And, uh, I remember Pastrana did St. Louis in 2009 I'm a fan of it. I don't know that they're, they were always the best tracks like that. St. Louis track was crazy. It was as a rider, it was so unique and weird. And I don't know that it worked. You know, we were as riders hopping over the berms and cutting across sections. And, uh, so whether it worked or not is always up for, I guess, anybody's, uh, opinion, but I know like the Indy track in 08 was pretty damn good. And that was really, Larry Brooks had a huge hand in helping Chad develop that track. But as a rider, that was one of my favorite tracks of the year, if not my favorite. It had really cool, unique jump sections, and uh, it really favored riders being aggressive as far as what they could jump and would jump, and there were options. There there was a lot of cool stuff going on there. So um, I'm all for riders being involved. I don't know that they should just have carte blanche in designing the tracks, but having them sit down with Dirtworks to develop tracks. I don't really see a downside in it. I think it's always a good idea to make riders feel like they have a say in what's going on. Um, I know that's been a a struggle in all aspects of racing is, is, riders feeling like their voice is heard and that's just another way to get them involved. So good question. I'm all for it. Uh, I think that bringing that concept back would be pretty cool. This question is from Jim. What is the next major safety innovation you see coming in the sport? Could it be goggles or chest protector rule like MXGP? Uh, anyway, what's the next major safety innovation? Well, a couple of things here. I think helmets are the forefront of that, but you're already seeing like the formula helmet, in my opinion, is the most innovative helmet on the market. Obviously, I'm, uh, I'm biased, but that's where all of the resources from, from brands have been pouring their efforts is in the helmets because it's so important to reduce concussion uh, probabilities and to keep people's brains uh, from, (laughs) your brain from taking impact. That's the most simple way I can put it is we're trying to reduce any strain or force being put on your brain, period. Uh, But I do think there are things happening in the chest protector game. If you look at MotoGP, those air vests are pretty awesome. I think you'll see something like that start expanding into Moto. Uh, so basically if you're not familiar, what happens is when MotoGP riders crash, they have a vest inside their race suit that inflates. And it, it's basically like a safety balloon for lack of a better term that keeps them safe. It's pretty awesome. It responds in a millisecond to a crash. And if you go back and watch some MotoGP crashes, it's pretty great. It keeps those guys safe. So I think something like that could be down the line for Moto. I don't know how to incorporate it because we don't have this, um, this leather suit like MotoGP does, but I think there are different ways to execute that being explored. I know for fly racing, we are really looking at different materials for chest protectors and all types of protectors that are better than what are on the market. So I think you'll see that coming too. Um, but just protection is the name of the game right now. Uh, There's a ton of steps forward. There are a ton of steps being taken forward uh, in protection in general. So I think you'll see all sorts of protection lines improving, uh, from chest protectors to knee guards to all kinds of stuff in the next few years. Next question, question from Mitch. He, he says, the story you have about going to the drug Lord's house in Guatemala to get paid for a race. Um, he says Mexico, but it was actually Guatemala. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, do you think anything like that happens to privateers that travel countries to race, or is that sketchiness a thing of the past? I think it still happens. Uh, you know, races like that are still going on. I don't know firsthand how sketchy they are now, but the dynamic of people putting on races and uh, not having money, always having the money to do it or taking big chances or putting people in bad scenarios. I'm sure it still goes on. Uh, Oscar Diaz was was murdered. Uh, I want to say it was 2009. I, I struggle to s- know when it was. I want to say 2008 or 2009 in Guatemala. Um, going, I think maybe he had just crossed back into Costa Rica, but it was at one of these races that I was at. So to think that those are just done now, uh, I would I would guess something like that's still going on. Uh, races in Mexico, races in South America. Hopefully everybody stays safe. But yeah, I have some some crazy good stories, and maybe with all these races being postponed, uh, I'll have an opportunity to just do a, a story story segment podcast where I talk about stories of Subway Honda and stories of races overseas because I have a ton of them. I just need to write down and make some notes, but let's let's pencil that in. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a special podcast where it's just my, my racing stories and some of the outlandish things that have happened to me. I'm going to work on that uh, in this downtime. So great story, or excuse me, great question. Next one is from Nick H. His question is about gear contracts. Uh, he said he got to work for the NBA for two seasons. That's pretty cool. And uh, he got to work or see how individual athletes' shoe deals worked. Um, He said, for the average NBA player, their Nike deal would be for X number of dollars for X number of years, I think he wanted to say. Oh, no, it's credit. So X number of dollars paid and X number of dollars in in free gear during that season. All game-worn items were not included in the free gear budget. So he's asking, is that similar to Moto?" He doesn't want to know real dollar figures, which that's good because I can't share. I can't share the fly racing numbers anyway. Um, He's curious if MotoGear deals are all money-based or if products lumped in there together. He says, it seems like we hear a lot about how difficult it can be to get gear product in the Moto industry. So uh, a lot there, but uh, I think I can tackle this pretty safely and and give some insight. So as for being paid, yes, uh, obviously, the top riders in the sport are, you know, that's where all the negotiating goes down is how many dollars they are paid. And that's the biggest concern. Now, as for product, if you're talking about a guy like, uh, you know, Zach Osborne, Blake Baggett, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming Ken Roxon's the same for another brand. But the product side of that is is really not the concern. Uh, we look at it as fly racing. I'm speaking for fly, fly racing here. We look at it as if we're going to pay, this athlete to be a spokesman and a representative of the brand, then we want them to look their best and the most presentable and awesome at all times. So yeah, we're, we're going to outfit them over the top with the amount of product, right? It's that's not really a concern because otherwise what are we paying them for? We want them wearing new stuff, different colors, casual stuff. We want them displaying what we have to offer our customers all the time. Now that's for them. And that, and I was in that lucky enough to be in that fold for many, many years. And I was getting two or three sets of gear a weekend. And, you know, basically if I asked for something, I got it. And that's really cool. And I I live on the other side of that coin now and try to, uh, make sense of all of that now, you know, financially as for other riders, if you're, let's say uh, a privateer guy, um, you're, barely making main events, maybe sometimes not. Um, yeah, you're getting free product. You would have a set amount of gear that's attributed to you budget wise. And there are two ways you can go. You can order it as needed that that can happen. Like you'll have a set amount of dollars of of product you're allowed to allocate. Um, we obviously try to help make wise decisions on that stuff, or, uh, you could be on a program where, Max Steffens and Dalton Braun are bringing you product as they see fit. Uh, So I've seen it go both ways. um, But yeah, those guys are generally allocated a certain amount of money so we can budget for it. The third tier down from that would be guys that are, um, they're professional racers and they're buying equipment at a substantially discounted price. And for a lot of those guys, that's the only way we can do it. You know, if we could afford to give everybody in the world free gear, we would, right? That's, that would be awesome, but we can't, it is a business. So we have to uh, try to make strategic decisions, but we also want to help. And we want to make it as affordable as we can for a lot of these guys to go racing. So they get heavily discounted product and that's up to them to uh, buy as much or as little as they need to get through the season obviously we want them buying for themselves. Uh, we are a dealer first brand and a dealer first company at WPS. So we really try to make sure that it's just the race community and you know, those guys that are, would be sponsored elsewhere if they were not sponsored by fly racing, because what we want is we want real customers who are real riders going into dealerships or onto their favorite online, online retailer website and buying that's, that's who we are. We sell to dealers So there's a fine line there between supporting our key athletes, but then also making sure that we're supporting our dealers and that customers are getting a great experience at their dealership. Uh, Because again, we don't sell direct to retail. We are a dealer first company. So a lot going on there. Um, But to answer the main question there, no, uh, when you're looking at a guy like Zach Osborne or Blake Baggett or Justin Brayton they don't really necessarily have a budget as far as how much product we're going to give them. They have, they get new product at every race. And then if they need stuff, they need casual stuff. Um, yeah, they definitely have it because otherwise what's the point? Why would we, why would we pay them real dollars if we were not also invested in making sure they have every single thing they need to represent the brand the best. If I see a guy like Blake or Justin or, uh, Michael Moseman or I don't know, R.J. Hampshire, anybody, take your pick. Our our core athlete guys. If I see a picture of them and they don't have Fly Racing on, I'm upset. I, I'm not mad. I'm bummed. I feel like it's a missed opportunity. I want every situation. I want them to be displaying Fly Racing, whether it's on or off the bike. And I know that's impossible, right? It's not always going to happen. But in my perfect world, that's what would happen. So yes, as a brand, we have a great team of people. Uh, whether it's Mike Williamson on the amateur side or Max and Dalton and Ricky and everybody on the pro side, we do our best to make sure those guys have every single thing that they need for both them and their family, because we want their kids wearing it. Uh, if you watch Josh Grant's Instagram lately, you'll see Wyatt out there ripping around and fly racing stuff. That's a big part of it too. We are a family brand and a family company. So we want everybody to be all in Victor asks how many hours a week of yoga does Tim Geiser have to do to be flexible enough to bounce back from these crashes? And man, what a question! I wish I knew the answer because it's seriously not human. I, I don't know how he does this. Look at a guy like Zach Osborne; he does yoga all the time, right? That's a big part of Alden Baker's program. He gets hurt, <laughs> unfortunately. For uh, for my business interests, he's hurt right now, and. So I don't think yoga is just the, the answer. I'm sure it helps. I don't want to downplay what yoga can do. But I I think part of it's a lot is just luck because I think there will be a law of averages that come in. Some of it's probably genetics, right? It, it, he's just less prone to injury or sickness than other people. And, and I've seen that with lots of people. Look at a guy like LeBron James. That dude's never hurt. Never I mean, okay, yeah, last year he, he did suffer an injury and miss some games, but over the course of his career, he does not get hurt. So I just think some of that is just people are different. They're, they're wired differently and built differently, and then there's the luck factor too. So funny question, but I don't know the answer to it. Michael asks, uh, so kind of the question we already answered, but what are the key differences between MXGP bikes and AMA uh, motocross bikes here? Are there fuel differences, noise limitations, uh, disparity in engine output? Uh, he said he thought that at Vulcan the bikes seemed quieter than U.S. bikes. Okay, so a lot there. Yes, the bikes in Europe have to be quieter, so that's a fact. If you look at their exhaust systems, they are uh, much more limiting than the U.S. bikes, and I know that's a big challenge for motocross nations, is to get the American bikes on par with uh, European regulation, I think they they do a good job of it. And in the end, they get the power back to where it needs to be. But I've often heard that it's a big adjustment at first to get uh, to basically go down to the European sound requirement. And then there's a lot of testing that has to go on with both fuel and exhaust to get uh, that performance back. So I did hear, though, that the fuel restrictions for the American teams have been loosened a little bit. And I I don't know whether or not that's true. I, I could be way off base there. But I know in the past, that's been a big challenge is to switch fuel and to switch exhaust, but maintain the same performance that the riders are expecting and what they've had all year long. So uh, simple answer to your question. Yes, the fuel is different and the, the noise limitations are different. And, uh, I, I can remember in my own racing going to Europe, it was challenging, Uh, we would kind of skirt around the rules at times because these German supercross races aren't as regulated as say like a, you know, an MXGP series, but the fuel that they offered me was God awful, terrible. It made the bike run so crappy compared to what I was used to. So I would go source my own fuel. Uh, just to be frank, I'd go buy it on my own and it was really expensive and really hard to find, but the performance gain and really just what I was used to. It allowed me to ride and, and expect the performance. And basically I knew what the bike was going to do just like I did at home. And that was a big thing. It wasn't always performance. It was about safety because there is nothing worse for a rider than expecting your bike to do one thing and it doing something else. That, that is a recipe for disaster, especially going back to the days of carburation, how a bike's going to run is, is everything. And just being able to count on your bike being, um, I guess, predictable and um, just responding the way it's designed to is really, really important. So putting some junk fuel in there that you don't even know where they got it. And, and it run, you, you have this exhaust system and, a, and an ignition and all these things that are built around one fuel. And then you put different fuel in and everything goes sideways. That's a really scary proposition, especially when we don't have your mechanic there, right? You're using a team mechanic from Germany. So being able to fix things on the fly is almost impossible. And you don't have a way to remap your ignition or do any of these things. So it was, it was crazy to, to expect everything to go normal when you add all of this change in there. Uh, so yeah, I would just go buy my own fuel and try to mimic exactly what I had in America. Okay. Next question. Uh, Josh asks, I know it's hard to predict the future, but how do you feel about the international travel that you have planned? And where do you think that's going to go for your schedule? Well, that's obviously something I've thought about a lot. Um, I think my immediate travel, especially international will be postponed. I was scheduled to go to Majora on May 12 or 13, I think the 12th. So that's in Italy. For those of you don't know, I would have flown into Milan And, uh, that's where my television broadcast would have started for this, this year. Um, that's obviously all, well, shouldn't say yet, but it's probably on hold. I can't picture myself flying into Milan where this is kind of the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in Italy. I don't think that's a great idea for anybody, but I'm hoping that they reschedule Majora for later in the year and I can go back there. Uh, that was that's an awesome round. If you'll remember, that was the site of the twenty sixteen Motocross of Nations. I believe it was sixteen. And I just loved that round. I loved the the history there. Um so I'm hoping that I do get to go there. I just don't think it's going to be in May, like previously scheduled. We'll wait to see what happens, but I, I have a hard time thinking that in two months from today, literally, that everything's cleared up and we can, we can go racing, and also that I'm willing to subject myself to whatever's going on there. Uh, so yeah, we'll just postpone it, put it on hold, and as I said earlier in this podcast, I'm hoping that that just turns into more opportunity for me, maybe in this offseason, I'm I'm flying all over the place. That would be great. I, I really really hope that that's the case and it's safe to do so, and it uh, broadens my horizons. Uh, I I missed a little bit of the end of the question. Um, he he basically asked am I international about or am I nervous about international travel, or am I nervous that I could get stuck in any sort of country? Um, really, all I've been looking at doing as far as what I would be nervous about is I really want to go make the most of this time off and go on vacation somewhere. I'd like to go to Cabo or Hawaii or something. I am a little nervous about that because if they start doing state to state, um, you know, travel bans or limiting travel, like if I, if I went to Hawaii for per se and they, they closed the border, that would suck. I mean, well, let's keep it in reason. Being stuck in Hawaii wouldn't be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It would be expensive and it would also probably not be my employer's favorite thing that's ever happened, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at going to like Cabo or Cancun or somewhere and it is a little scary not knowing day to day on what's going to happen traveling. So I'm keeping an eye on that and I know Steve Mathis and a bunch of my friends, we're all contemplating this because we don't get time off this time of the year very often. So again, I keep coming back to this same concept, but let's make the most of it. Let's make the most of a very, very dire and bad situation. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know that travel isn't in my immediate plans, but it's something I'm definitely looking at doing. Next question from Dustin. He says, what motivates a true privateer on spending all this money and doing all this hard work to, showing, to show up at a race knowing the chance of winning is very slim? Do they, do they show up knowing that, that there's no way they can win, or are they lining up saying, I can win every week? that's a good question. It doesn't relate to, you know, it's not timely, which is kind of good because everything else is probably about coronavirus right now. But for me, I knew I wasn't going to win, right? If I show up at Anaheim one or pick any round of the series. Yeah. I I knew I wasn't going to win. Uh, I practiced with the best of the best every day. So I knew how much better those guys were than me. I knew I wasn't going to win and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Being realistic is not always the worst thing in the world. I think the key really is realistic goals. For me, that was try to be in the top 10. And uh, that was realistic. It certainly happened a lot for me, but I went into every weekend knowing that's where I need to be. And, and really just continuing to improve. You just want to keep getting better, right? You it, That's really every aspect of life is just become a better person. Uh, move your business interests forward. Racing's no different. You just want to improve your skill set. Um, really diagnosing weaknesses is a big part of that too and, and working to improve those. But yeah, I think to answer your specific question, riders know. You know do I think that Adam Insignap is showing up at uh, Indianapolis last weekend thinking he can win? No. He he knows better than that. And maybe he would tell me I'm crazy. like He always thinks he's going to win, but I I don't believe that. You know where you're... Where you sit in the in the sport, uh I think self analysis is a very important aspect of everyone. Like how do you how do you work to get better if you don't know where you are? And um yeah, so riders always know if they have a chance of winning or not and, and for most privateers that's not. Now going to a race in Europe or a race in Germany, yeah. I knew I could win and I won a lot overseas. And that was the expectation. Uh, you can ask anybody that I raced with in Europe. Uh, they know how serious I took it. I literally, I didn't even talk to people hardly when I was racing here or there. I w- I took it so seriously. And at a race, like a German championship round, I was all business. I mean, dead serious. Like I, I made sleep and eating and jet lag, overcoming jet lag and everything. The biggest priority I, would, uh, I mean, I would eat and sleep around the clock just trying to be my best when it was time for racing. And the other guys were going sightseeing and doing all these cool things that I would bypass because I wanted to go sleep. And I want, when that gate dropped in the main event on Friday night and Saturday night, I wanted to be the best guy and the most prepared. And I did everything to do that. But I, I wanted to win because I knew that one day sitting, you know, just like right now, 10 years later, I would regret it if I didn't. I hold those memories of standing on the podium so, uh, they have such a strong place in my heart and it's something that I won't ever forget. And if I had blown it off and not taken it seriously and let my results slip, I don't think I would ever forgive myself. I put so much time and effort and just all of myself into getting the best result that I could. So I wanted to be true to that and make the most of it. I will say that I'm very, very lucky because I did miss out on a lot. I missed out on a lot of sightseeing trips and after parties and all kinds of fun stuff that my buddies were all going to do. And I got so lucky that my job after I stopped racing was to be in an international business for at least a year or two afterwards. And I got to go to all these places. I got to go to Berlin again and go to these cities all across Europe and South America and Scandinavia and visit places that I had already visited, but I didn't see anything. I saw a hotel, an airport, and the racetrack. Well now I get to do that stuff. I don't have to worry about performing on the weekends, right? I need to worry about performing in my job. But that leaves a lot of time to go see stuff, go make the most of a trip like that. And and I've absolutely capitalized on that stuff. I spent a week in Berlin on business and I saw everything there was to see. And I was missing out before, but I am making up for it now. So I, uh, I got super lucky and I still, I still spend my own money at times. And other times it's, uh, you know, fly racing business, you know, to go to motocross of nations and go visit all these cool places. And again, like this year motocross of nations is in Erne, France, same place that it was in 2015. Well, Steve Mathis and I will go again. Let's, let's just pray that, you know, that's not disrupted from this virus, but I'll go again and I'll go to Normandy, the beaches of Normandy, which are maybe half an hour away. And I'll go to the museum again and I'll go take in all that cultural experience again. And it'll move me just the way it did. I, I literally was tearing up last time looking at all these, you know, these grave sites for all these people. It's just an unbelievably life altering experience if you've never been there. And I would recommend anyone going, whether you're going from or whether you're just going on a European vacation, it was one of the most touching places on earth I'd ever been to, to understand the sacrifice that all these people made on that beach, you know, 70 years ago or whatever it's been. It's just unreal. There is there is nothing else like Normandy Beach for me. Uh, D Day, you know, I'm a World War II history nut, and uh, I've read and learned a lot about it, and that, that you're standing right there, right? It it all happened right in front of you. And there are still so many signs that still show the events of that day. You know, the museum is incredibly awesome. there are literally like still holes in the ground from bombs. You know, they were just shelling the beach and all these installations that the Germans had built to ward off the allies coming onto the beach. So I'm getting off on a tangent there, but, um, yeah, I just would implore everybody to make the most of opportunities. And I'm really, really lucky that I've gotten to, uh, post my racing career. Next question, uh, is from Matt and, uh, sorry. Yep. Matt, he says, assuming they're held later in the year and pushes the schedule back, making the MXGP season longer than ever. What effect will this have on what across the nations, particularly the U S riders having a break? So Oddly enough, touches on what I was just mentioning with Ernay this year for Motocross the Nations. Well, it's going to be weird because I think I think there's a very strong likelihood that there are MXGP events after the Motocross the Nations. And I don't know that that's ever happened. Maybe it has. I, I should know my history a little better, but it'll certainly be a new wrinkle for all the, the current racing um, paddock and, and riders. I don't know. I hope that they keep the schedule the same but i don't think that they could guarantee it i don't think that they're going to want to have a motocross of nations in november and december so with the argentina round already scheduled for november 21 22 that tells me that they're going to have the MX O N while the mxgp season's already going and i don't think it matters i think that all the mxgp riders would still go i mean they still race european like british championship rounds uh German championship. They race all these races anyway. Like Dutch championship goes on in the middle of the series. All those guys still go race. So I don't see why the motocross of nations would be any different as far as those guys participation. I think they would try to keep the motocross of nations event calendar the same because they would want the Americans to participate. The one wrinkle I could see is if the American schedule changed, right? If if they went that crazy balls idea, of putting Supercrosses in September or even the Outdoor Nationals extended into September, maybe that would force the hand of Motocross of Nations to change their date. And yeah, that I mean, for us to go into the, all those scenarios, the world is basically burning at that that point. Everything is up for grabs. I don't know, uh, but to to rule it out would be foolish. Uh, I just don't know how that plays out. For now, I'm going to assume they leave the date for Motocross Nations the same. Because there are so many logistics, according accordingly with that race uh, moving, it would be a big, big problem. So we'll see. Uh, I guess is the best way I can put that. Brett asks: uh, Do industry race teams pulling out, r- pulling riders out of signing events? Does it send a big message to our fans that this situation is worse than maybe we all assumed? And you should not attend races. Blah blah blah. Okay. So he's asking with, you know, Yamaha and Honda and all these teams pulling out of autograph signings, what message does that send to the average race fan? Well, you know, those events got canceled before all these events got canceled, right? So they're almost going hand in hand now. I guess hand in hand is probably a very bad um, analogy, but it is what it is. Um, We'll see, you know, what does April look like as far as this coronavirus outbreak? No one can answer that right now. Even the the experts in this field can't answer that. So we'll see. You know, if if they ran a bunch of Vegas rounds and we're back to racing and fans are allowed in the stadiums and all that stuff, maybe some of these teams go back. You know, I don't know. I, I could see Ken Roxon not doing them because his immune system is unique. He's definitely had some issues, and I think he's more he is more susceptible to something like this than the average rider. So I could see him erring on the side of caution and just locking himself in his compound other than racing. Um, So we'll see, but I I don't know that anything there has been decided. Everybody's just taking this day by day. But as far as the message goes, I don't think there was an intended message other than for, you know, for a rider. Okay. This is what they face. They, They go to an autograph signing and they shake everyone's hand and they come in contact with several hundred people at an autograph signing. That's that is a horrible idea with the way this virus is spreading. If it's airborne and you talk to that many people every single Friday before that's that's you're putting yourself at such a high risk for catching this. If even one person on top of that, assembling all those people in, you know, those lines like that, that's not a good idea either. So that dynamic is so problematic. I can understand why that thing got shut down really, really quickly. And for the riders themselves, you're exposing yourself to a very, very sticky situation. there. having to talk to take pictures with, yeah, you can wear gloves, but airborne doesn't matter if you're wearing gloves or not. People are going to be sneezing and all kind. Of, it's just, it's a really bad situation for a rider to put themselves in. So I totally get it. The more we've learned about this, it doesn't make any sense at all for, for riders to be exposing themselves to that. Okay, uh, Matt, did I skip over Matt? Yep. So Matt asks, how did Fly design a helmet shape that fits a wide variety of head shapes yet maintain the integrity and functionality of Conehead technology? Well, the simple answer is (laughs) test, 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 fittings, just more fittings with more people than you could ever possibly imagine. Uh, And really we're trying to fit kind of that, uh, intermediate oval type head shape that, that most Americans fall into. That's what we're really going for. But if you've ever tried a formula on, you can attest to this. It is so comfortable. You know, I wore the F2 for years before the formula was a thing. And I thought the formula was unbelievably comfortable. I love that helmet. And then I tried to formula on once it was finished and it blew me away. I could not believe how comfortable that helmet was. I didn't think it was possible to have a helmet be that comfortable. The way I like to kind of describe it. So if any of you have ever been in a Mercedes, right? A really high-end car, BMW, Mercedes, Porsche, whatever, take your pick. And you open and close the door on, on a really expensive car. It just feels so secure and there's just a different feel to it. And if you, if you've done it, you know exactly what I mean. And if you've been in a very inexpensive car, it feels flimsy. Things are like rattling when you close it. It doesn't have the same feel to it. And that's just quality and craftsmanship and higher end materials. That's what it's like to put a formula helmet on. And that's the closest analogy I can get to it. And if you've tried it on, you know exactly what I mean. But to me, that's absolutely what the formula is about. It is the pinnacle of performance, the pinnacle of safety, the pinnacle of materials. And uh, yeah, it just speaks to the amount of effort and time that we have in it. I mean, we had four or five years of development and innovation in that helmet. And all of that kind of speaks for itself when you try it on. Okay, Jason, I have an idea for making up races. If they have any more races, make them a triple crown format, paying full points for each race. All right, Jason. So not a terrible idea, but it is problematic. And I will tell you why. The key problem is when you talk about their sponsorship obligations. Okay. So getting to 17 rounds is the magic number they're trying to do because that's what everything is contracted for. And if they don't get to 17 rounds, what is that? Mean, I don't know that there's hard answers. I, I bet that every contract's a little different, but they don't want to even have to approach that scenario. So for them to get 17 rounds is, is in is what they want to do. So it's very clean. They can put a bow on it, and everybody's somewhat happy. Now, running a triple crown with three different rounds counting, I don't know that that would fulfill their contractual obligations. Okay, also what sponsors want is they want a different group of people coming to see their sponsor activations. They want, also they want three different nights of television coverage, right? That's what sponsors are paying for. And that's what everybody agreed to running three different points, paying rounds at, uh, you know, one night doesn't really do that because you don't, you're getting the same audience that just for one night, you're getting the same amount of impressions for one night versus three nights. And that's really what it all comes down to. Um, on top of that for the rider purse, now you're asking three different purse payouts to happen on one night off of one night's revenue, which mathematically that doesn't make sense, right? That they can't make that come out to, to work because they're not getting the ticket sales. They're not getting Uh, the same amount of revenue from concessions and all these things that they're counting on to, to pay for all these things. Uh, So it just doesn't make sense. You know, on paper, if you're just purely trying to have three rounds of racing to get the series in, it does, I understand what you're, what you're asking, but that doesn't fit the bill for all the things that they're trying to do for the millions and millions and millions of dollars of sponsorship that they have. Also the television rights, all these things that they have to try to get done it doesn't work on that, on that level. So I hope that makes sense. Um, I get your side. It's just as far as the racing that it would work, but for what they need to do and what their, their biggest concerns are is to avoid a lot of legality and really difficult scenarios. It doesn't work for that. So Jared asks, what does the financial situation look like for the teams and riders regarding COVID-19? These teams spend millions for advertising and potential race wins. Did they just eat that bill? Does Feld help the teams? Who helps Feld? Okay, so a little bit different for everybody. For the teams, you know, unless their sponsors are going to hold back money, it doesn't matter too much. And maybe they do. You know, I'm sure that conversation is ongoing. But for riders, especially privateer riders, that's the tough part. Uh, They are not getting a paycheck at all right now privateer guys are counting on that money every Saturday night and they're not getting it. So that's that's a really hard impact on privateer riders. For some of the teams, it's probably a good thing. If you look at teams that are just trying to make this thing work and expenses are killing them, well hey, you just saved a lot of expenses. <laughs> you know if you if your sponsors aren't kicking in a ton of money and you are scrounging to get this thing done, Yeah, it probably is saving you money. You know, I talked to Steve Mathis and it's going to be cheaper for him. Think about if they move the races to Vegas, right now, he's got races in his backyard. He just saved a ton of money on flights. So if there are California based teams and instead of flying and taking their whole team to Boston and then to Detroit and then Seattle and all over the place, if they just had a few races in Vegas, that's going to save them a bunch of money, period. It will save them money on expenses. The question is on sponsors, how does that all play out? And, and until we know how many rounds of this series happen, no, nobody can possibly answer that yet. So it is a challenge. Uh, but again, silver lining, maybe some of these teams save a little bit of money along the way. Uh, Michael asks, given the upward trend that Plessinger has shown this season and the lower price tag he has compared to Barsha, he, he guesses on that. Uh, do you see Yamaha keeping him over Barsha to make room for Ferrandis? Well, I don't know. I don't know that Plessinger's number is lower than Barsha because remember when Barsha signed his deal, he was not a hot commodity. He had been struggling and Plessinger was, he was a hot commodity. He was coming off of double titles and a lot of people were after him. So I would bet their number is pretty similar. Uh, I'm guessing on that as well. I don't know the hard numbers, but I would guess they're fairly similar. The difference is Barsha won a race this year and He's fourth in points and he's really turned things around this season. And Plessinger has had a really disappointing year and a half. Plessinger has been on the rise lately. Daytona was I would say his best race to date. He led the heat race for a while, he battled Barsha the entire main event and if he can continue on with this momentum throughout the summer, maybe he changes that narrative. The long, you know, long story short is that they're going to have to make a hard decision because I don't think they're going to have three guys. Maybe they do. Maybe that's the easy answer. They just go to three riders. But I think they would like to keep it to two. Also insert, do they go after uh, Adam Cincirillo? That could throw a wrench into everything. But I think the most likely scenario is that Cincirillo stays at Cali, and then Yamaha has to choose between doing three riders, or do they choose between Barca and Plessinger and then add Ferrandis. I don't think it's a given that Ferrandis goes to Yamaha. I think there are a few other teams that are pursuing him. I'm pretty sure there are actually. So assuming that Ferrandis goes to Yamaha, I think is a that's an assumption I'm not willing to make. So a lot of moving parts there. But my answer to that would be uh, I don't know that Ferrandis is going there to start with. So maybe Ferrandis goes elsewhere, and then Yamaha can just keep. Barsen Plessinger keep the status quo and everybody's happy. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. But, um, with the downtime right now, you can, you can bet that teams, agents, riders are all on the phones because there's nothing else to do. So it gives them a lot of time to work on 2021 instead of, you know, having to fly all over the world and worry about a race every Saturday. Okay. Jarrett asks, I love Fly Racing chains. So uh, Fly Racing has a whole line of hard parts, if you didn't know, from handlebars to clutch perches to sprockets, chains, all that stuff. So he asks, with the emergence of Firepower, which is a WPS-owned company as well, is Fly still selling chains? Uh, Are they the same chains? Who makes them? Uh, We are absolutely still selling chains. Um, It's interesting because it's really challenging for me to spread my focus everywhere. And uh, the hard parts division of fly racing is one that I probably should spend more time on. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to give everything my attention. But we do sell a lot of fly racing sprockets and chains. They are not the same chain as the uh, Firepower. Uh, but uh, we obviously spend a lot of time working with our vendors on both. Um, Firepower is a brand that is growing by leaps and bounds every day. Kirk Alves does a fantastic job with that brand. Uh, I've gotten to know him a lot better in the last year or so. And they're, for lack of a better term, it's so cliche, but honestly, they're killing it. Like the batteries side of the business for firepower is on fire. And, uh, yeah, every aspect of firepower is growing like crazy. And obviously chains being a big part of that too. So, um, simple answer. Yes, we are still selling fly racing chains and firepower is growing literally by the day right now. So check out either one of those. Uh, they are both high quality, high performance. Uh, that's the only thing we really want to offer is, is stuff we can stand behind. So, uh, check that stuff out. You can go, um, on obviously the websites as well, social media and, uh, and learn more. Michael asks so far this season, I've heard that I've heard Marvin Muskan's name approximately zero times. What would you do if you were in his PR corner to get him back in the minds and hearts of fans, his current forgettability, which is a nice word there, his not great for sponsors or his future career possibilities after racing? Well, it's a good question. Yeah, Marvin's certainly been, uh, I don't want to say forgotten about, but he's taken a back seat because he hasn't been on the racetrack. Well, he is planning on racing outdoors, and I think... Just his ability to ride well will get him back out there. It's tough when you're not doing anything. You're not racing. You're not relevant. That's just part of the sport, you know, and and it's unfortunate because the guys that are out there on every Saturday night right now are getting all of the attention. So I think if you're Marvin, you just be patient and you understand that your results this summer are going to dictate all of that. Marvin's a hot commodity and will be, everyone knows that Marvin is a great rider and he's capable of winning. And there are not many riders you can say are capable of winning. So if you're, if you're Marvin, you just do everything you can to come out swinging at Hangtown. You want to bring it. And and I use bring it as such a cliche term, but you want to bring it at the beginning of the series. And if you do that, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to have a ride and you're going to get paid a ton of money in 2021. But that's the most important aspect is to come out swinging and make the most of this downtime. And if the series even gets pushed a little bit, maybe that helps him prepare more. Um, but I, I do think he'll be back. Um, he's just so talented. And he's in. he has such a great training program and regimen over there. I can't imagine that he's going to do anything but come back out and turn heads uh, once this series gets going, uh, once summer gets here. Final question. Okay. And it's a four-part question, so we'll get a few out of this. He asks in this, uh, if the series only ends at 10 rounds and they just call it as is number one, would you be relieved and thankful for the break to heal and get ready for outdoors? Or number two, would you be bummed because you're a racer and want to race number three? Would it depend on your points position? And number four, not that simple, many layers and mixed feelings. Uh, I probably would be number four. Um, number first part of that, I would be bummed because my income would be directly affected. And it, it already is, to be honest. I, I run a VIP program for the Rocky Mountain KTM team. And yeah, it's it's going to be affected by that. If Side note, if you ever want to come hang out with me for a day and be a part of the Rocky Mountain KTM team, please reach out to me. Uh, we have a program in conjunction with Feld that's been very successful and been pretty awesome. So I'd love to give you more information on that but yeah, it, it is directly affecting me. So I am bummed on that level. Um, it, I think it does help prepare for outdoors, but at the same time you should be doing that anyway. Uh, I'm sure the guys are happy for a weekend off right now, but you don't need two months to get ready for outdoors. So, uh, I would definitely be bummed on some level. Maybe this weekend has been nice, but that's not the dynamic we have on the table. Guys are literally looking at several weeks. Well, we'll see, but it's looking like several weeks of being off anyway until until we get more news. Uh, depending on points position, yeah. I mean, if you're Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon and possibly Webb and Barsha, it could certainly weigh on that. Um, obviously, Tomac and Roxen, it it's everything. But if you're fifteenth in points or tenth in points, it doesn't matter. It, it's honestly irrelevant. It's more about racing every weekend and proving yourself for a job for next season and all those things versus the points. It kind of doesn't matter. Um, be bummed because you're a racer and want to race. Yes, that comes back to income. Certainly, you want to race. That's what your your life revolves around. But for me, racing you know, that's what your livelihood depends on. And you you almost judge yourself off of success and failure on the racetrack. So if you're not racing, you kind of look around and say, Hmm, what now? <laughs> what do I do with my time? Uh, what am I supposed to do with my life? Uh, hopefully this is all short lived and it won't really matter, but yeah, I think number four is the most likely is it's not that simple. There are many layers of mixed feelings Because you're also worried about the the health and safety of everyone around you, your parents and any elderly people that you know or work with or any of that stuff. So it's not just, yeah, let's go racing, screw it. We'll, you know, we'll risk everything. Uh, But at the same time, you have to look at your finances and all of that's going to take a hit too. So lots and lots of layers to it. Um, I think that's the most common thread of this whole podcast is there's a lot going on. The amount of phone calls, emails and conversations that are being had with Feld Entertainment with every aspect of their business has to be mind-boggling. I literally think it's a 24-hour a day situation. I don't think many people there are sleeping very often. Think about the like I said earlier, think about the money, amount of money that's on the line, all the logistics that have to be worked through, all the conversations with possible venues, with teams because every decision has to be worked through. They can't just make uh, unilateral decisions and not think of the ramifications. So I, I hope to be involved in some of those conversations, not that I have any uh, influence, but to share any insight or just be in the know of what's going on. All of this stuff is going to affect people differently. You know, for the people listening to this podcast, it probably, it really only affects your Saturday entertainment. Uh, and obviously it affects your work life, the, the virus in general, but I'm saying the the racing world affects your, your interest level and your entertainment on Saturdays. But for a lot of people, this is their livelihood and everything they do is wrapped up and wrapped around this unfolding dynamic. So it's certainly unique. I don't think we've ever faced anything like this. You know, the closest I can attribute it to would be like nine 11 and that was in the off season. So it didn't have the same effect that it has on the middle of a series right now. So best new best advice I can give you is stay tuned uh, keep an eye on social media, keep an eye on all your news channels, because this stuff's going to be evolving very quickly. Uh, I know that on our end, whether it's myself or racer X or Pulpmax or whoever, we're going to try to keep all of you in the know with as much as we can. Uh, we'll probably be speculating some, uh, and then there's going to be other things that we hear that we can't share because we're sworn to secrecy as things are worked through because not everything you know, if something gets leaked, that doesn't mean it's finalized. Right. And, and I've heard things that I can't share. Um, that's just how it goes. And the main reason you can't share it is because it's not done. There's nothing been decided. It's just a possibility. And those possibilities are, you know, they're basically thrown against the wall to see what sticks and see what teams want to do and see, see what's possible and what's not realistic. Uh, I do want to give credit to Feld, though, because they have been very, very transparent with teams and sponsors. They're doing everything they can to make this work, not only for themselves. I get that's an aspect, but make it work for everybody. They understand we're all in this together, and they take a lot of heat from lots of different angles, teams and fans and everybody. And I don't always think it's fair, and I just know the pressure they're under right now, and uh, I think they deserve some credit for being – really, um, I don't want to use it, the word aggressive, but they're doing everything they can and trying to act quickly and decisively to help everyone. So, um, that's a great way to end it is just, let's try to stay positive through this thing. Try to find ways that you can make your life a little better in a really difficult time. I know that's what I'm going to try to do. And, uh, I think at bare minimum, we'll have a podcast next Sunday, but I am working with racer X to try to do a live Q and a later this week. So I'm going to do everything I can to make that reality, just to give you guys a forum to ask real questions. And I think information at a time like this, not only for health and safety, but also just your curiosity as a fan, I think being transparent with everyone with as much as we have is key. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that it really does anybody a lot of justice or credit to, keep everything a secret. Right. And all we have all this information and no one else does. Um, I don't think that's really good for anybody. So hopefully we can keep communication up. We live in a great time for that. You know, the possibilities of communication have never been higher than they are now with social media and podcasts and, you know, YouTube live, which is something else I am looking at doing. You guys would be able to comment into a YouTube live forum. That would be pretty awesome. Right. So that's something I want to do. Um, so yeah, if, Keep these uh, e- email emails coming and ask questions. If you have good ideas of how we can communicate better, um, please let me know on that stuff too. But uh, everybody, thanks for listening. The feedback again, and I always mention this, but it's been overwhelming. I don't have all the answers. I, I'm not a professional at this. I'm just having fun with it. And, um, you know, this this coronavirus has given me an opportunity to make this a very... Uh, question-based podcast. We don't have any racing to really talk about. But I only do this really because it's fun. You know, this the sponsorship dollars that are attributed to this podcast are not life-changing. Um, it's more about covering my costs and, and having fun with it. And that's, you all have really made that possible for me. Um, people emailing me and social media and everything, it, it puts a smile on my face all the time. Sunday mornings when I've been flying back, I'm worn out and I'm trying to wake myself up to do these things. Uh, the feedback honestly has really made the difference in my enthusiasm. And uh, I just want to let you guys all know how appreciative of I am of all of that. So again, thank you for listening. We will be in touch this week. I'm going to be locked down in my house. So that means one thing that means more content for everybody. Uh, so I will be in touch soon. Thanks everybody. See you.